<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life. A podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor, activist, and 2020 Emmy nominee, Billy Porter. He joins me today to talk about his 2020 Emmy nomination in the Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series category for his incredible performance as Pray Tell and FX's Pose. Billy and I talk about the importance of Pose and what it represents in today's popular culture, what it means to be a back-to-back Emmy nominee after winning in 2019, and the three movies that changed his life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Thanks to GinaMo81 for the most recent five-star review. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Billy Porter. Billy Porter, pray tell himself, it is an honor <laughs> to have you on Movies That Changed My Life. How are you doing today? Uh, I am as good as can be expected mm-hmm. um you know during this time of really terrifying unrest uh in the mm-hmm. world you know um i'm doing pretty good considering that <laughs> <laughs> uh where are you right now there's that lovely background it looks like a cabin of some sort. i am uh on a screen in a screened in porch mm. uh of a home that I have been renting with my husband for the summer. Mm, lovely, lovely. Um, so I was lucky enough to book you on the show before you got your lovely nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series <laughs> for a character uh, of Pray Tell, the, the role of which uh, you won last year, becoming the first openly gay black man to be nominated and win uh, in any lead acting category in the primetime Emmys, and you've got nominated again for the second year. What's that like coming back as a two-time nominee now for your incredible role? You know, I am completely um speechless you know i have been out from the beginning of my career i was told that my queerness would be my liability and it was for for the majority of my career um so to have lived long enough to see that narrative turn around and flip on its head and the very thing that has been my liability become the thing, you know, the reason um, is quite magical. 
And, um, you know, I don't take it lightly. And like I said, I am just so grateful to have lived long enough to see the day where this transition um, in the culture and in the world is possible. Your win was so big last year. And I think that your nomination and the other, you know, uh, nominations of uh, by POC people, you know, in the Emmys and hopefully future award seasons as well. It's really important this year, um, given, I think, the current political and, and social climate. Do you think that there's like extra weight um, on this year's awards, nominees and winners um, to help kind of show that Hollywood is ready to take another step forward, like in this transition, like you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's an evolution happening Things are different than what they've used to be used to be. You know, I feel like it's really about holding on to forward motion, mm-hmm. continuing to move the needle forward. Um, and the only way we can do that is to continue to show up um, as artists and as creators and um take our seat at the table, demand our seat, whatever you want to call it, um, create our own tables, as Ava DuVernay speaks of so brilliantly mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the time. You know, it's that's what has been happening. And, um, you know, to be a part of that kind of movement is humbling and it's an honor. Pose is such an amazing show. I consider myself like a pretty aware and I like to consider myself an ally for the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. Um, But even so, like there are so many lessons to be learned in pose. Mm -hmm. Um, Like this whole, like the entire ballroom culture, I was not familiar with at all. Mm -hmm. And then obviously like the subsect stories within there Mm -hmm. and something that I think, um, you know, the creative team and all the, the actors do so well is you guys balance out the lessons um, that you're trying to show to like mainstream America and mainstream pop culture, along with like the dramatized stories. Mm-hmm. What's like the the kind of process like for you as a as an actor, and if you're involved with the sort of creation development of the characters in balancing out the um, dramatization and the lessons that you're trying to tell in the show? Well, I think. Well, I know that um, all of the credit goes to our show's creator, Stephen Canals, um, in conjunction with our godfather, um, Ryan Murphy, um, you know, and then we have uh, Brad Felchick and Janet Mock and Our Lady J all in the same room. And I think what's so special about this, this group of creators is that, number one, this really unique story is in the hands of the people who are living it and have lived it. Um, that's one of the lessons I think Hollywood has been learning. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been learning as well. Um, you know, we as BIPOC people, we as othered people um, need to be um, the tellers of our own stories. So that is first and foremost what happens with Pose. And it's the reason I know for certain um, that it's so authentic in that Mm -hmm. there's such a connection 
Um, the other thing I love about our uh, creative crew is that they really are observers. Um, they observe us in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a moment when we're around each other um, that we're not being observed. And, you know, when we're away from each other, you know, now because of social media, there are ways to stay connected to people um, even when you don't see or speak to them every day. Um, And I have noticed that our characters really reflect Mm. um, who we are in real life. You Mm. know, I lived Mm. through the AIDS crisis. I came out in 1985 when I was 15, 16 years old. And, you know, we went straight to the front lines to fight for our lives. So that activism component mm-hmm. that you see in Pray Tell and uh, evolve in season two, you know, also me, Billy, being a uh, first generation post-civil rights movement, you know, activism is in my personal DNA. Mm-hmm. So to see that show up on the page is simply an extension of who I am and people who are smart enough to recognize that and mine that for the truth and authenticity in our storytelling. Yeah, authenticity is correct. I mean, um, when I was watching the episode uh, where Praytel eulogizes at Candy's mm-hmm. funeral, mm-hmm. my note was that um, nothing you said in that sounded scripted. Like everything felt mm. improvised and real. And I mean that in like the highest form. Yes, of yes, yeah. And, and so many things that Praytel and all the other characters do, honestly, on the show, it just feels like, it almost feels like, again, it's improvised and that you guys are kind of speaking from the heart and what you want to say. Well, that is a wonderful, wonderful compliment. And, um, you know, that's, that goes to the writing. It goes to um, the actresses who are at the forefront of um, leading this story. You know, our story yeah. is led by five transgender actresses of color. You know, we've never seen that before. The stories that we're telling are real. Um, These girls live these stories for real. Um, That's what you're seeing. That's what you're feeling. And um, for a person who is more mainstream, me, you know, even believe it or not, I just got to the mainstream, but as a cisgendered you know, a gay man I who went to drama school and you know had all of all of the the um, not all of the opportunities, but many of the opportunities, sure. many opportunities that these ladies did not have. Yeah. Um, you know, it's remarkable to me um, to see their work um, and how grounded it is and how real it is and how present it is and how good it is you know yeah. quite frankly you yeah. know we're considering most of them have come from nowhere with no experience mm-hmm. and you know they don't have the they haven't had the opportunities that some of the rest of us have had to sort of practice and hone a craft it's like 
where did they, where were they going to do that? Right. You know, and Pose has created a space, I hope ultimately creates a world where we can foster a new generation of actors and actresses who are trans and gender nonconforming and all of that stuff and move that needle to the to the forefront and the mainstream. Everyone is so, so good on the show. I wish every single person could have been nominated, but in particular, I think <laughs> Me too. MJ, Rod- MJ Rodriguez, who plays Blanca, Dominique yeah. Jackson, who's, who plays Electra, and India Moore, who plays Angel. I mean... Beautiful storytelling and, and talented women. And, you know, I do most of my work with MJ. And, mm-hmm. you know, Blanca is the heart of the show, and MJ Rodriguez carries... <laughs> this show on her back like Jesus on the road to Damascus, honey, with that cross. <laughs> you know, and I and 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 the world sees that with the disappointment of not having any of these ladies nominated. You know, I try to stand in the positive mm-hmm. energy that mm-hmm. awards or no awards, we are history. They are history. You know, these girls go down in the history books as the first. There was pre-pose and there will be post-pose. And uh, the world has changed for the better because pose exists. Well, folks, if you haven't seen pose, please go watch go see it. one and two. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, keep an eye for season three and make sure you turn in to the Emmys for uh, to hopefully see Billy take home his two-time Outstanding Lead Actor uh, in a Drama Series Award. <laughs> um, but now let's move on to the movies that changed Billy Porter's life. Um, you've selected three fantastic films, and we'll go in chronological order for you. Does, does that work? Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. All right, so the first film is uh, from 1985. It is The Color Purple. It has a 7.8 out of 10 with 76,000 ratings on IMDb. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Written by Menno Mejas, uh, and the book was written by Alice Walker, starring Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Danny Glover. Um, the synopsis is a black Southern woman struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father, uh, husband, and others over four decades. So, Billy, tell me, when was the first time you watched The Color Purple? I don't really quite remember the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was in the movie theater or if it was on cable. Um, my grandmother had cable. It was the beginning of that. So she had HBO. So I would go, I would always go and sneak down to grandma and, and Aunt Dorothy's house, my great Aunt Dorothy's house and stay overnight with them. Mm. Um, and then like in the middle of the night, go downstairs and like watch movies that I wasn't supposed to be watching. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the color purple, first of all, marked for me in particular a literary triumph that I had not really experienced in my young life before. Um, Like you said, it was 1985. I was in uh, high school at the time. You know, you go to English class, wasn't nobody assigning us Black people books. Mm -hmm. They weren't assigning us Alice Walker. They weren't Mm -hmm. assigning us James Baldwin. They weren't assigning us Toni Morrison. Those books did not exist. Invisible Man was not on the list. And so all of a sudden, there was this book by a Black author about Black people that was transcending Blackness, that was transcend. It crossed over, you know, and I was seeing a lot of my white 
friends, you know, reading this thing called The Color Purple on their free time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not a I'm not a fast reader. So like I was trying to read what I had to read for English class <laughs> <laughs> on time so I could pass right. the test. I was not the person who could comprehend reading two things at the same time. There was too much on my plate. So right. it wasn't really until the movie came out that I knew anything about it. And the movie, too, was also a triumph that transcended what was available to us as Black artists, Um, the level of storytelling, um, the budget in general. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that, like, Steven Spielberg, this Yeah, one of the biggest directors of the time. Yeah, one of the hugest directors of the time had taken this on. And yes, he was white. Yes, he's white and blah, 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 whatever. But like, you know, truth of the matter is, at that time, it wasn't going to get made if there wasn't a white man at the helm. That's just Mm -hmm. how it goes. The Quincy Jones is producer, um, you know, introducing Whoopi Goldberg and and Oprah Winfrey and the acting. And I, I just... It took my breath away. And while the story was um, very difficult, you know, just in terms of the subject matter for me, mm-hmm. um, it's also a truth that we as Black people were able to see, we were seeing ourselves reflected back at us in this major way. And we talk, you know, the, in, there's, a, there's a language now that we have that we, even, that we didn't have before, um, you know, at that time. And it's about representation. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't talking in terms of representation at that time, as far as I can remember. Right. Um, but that's what I was seeing. You know, I was being represented in a way that I had not experienced before on screen and it was amazing you know and it really did change me it it, it really it really did um enlarge my my dreams prior to that i was a singer you know and i was introduced to musical theater in middle school but like you know film and films weren't something that i really dreamed about because I didn't see myself a lot in that. You know, I hadn't quite learned how to dream the impossible yet. You know, pose is the thing that, you know, believe it or not, that um, taught me how to do that, taught Mm -hmm. me how to dream the impossible. I know how to dream the impossible now. But back then, I didn't know how to do that. Um, and, and, And the color purple was something that expanded my dreams. It's funny, the parallel between The Color Purple and, and Pose, kind of what we were talking about, about awards, is that it got nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Uh, it was not nominated for Best Director, and they won none. Yes. Um, I mean, that's... Stupid. Uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, if you, if you look at, not to knock other movies too much, but if you look at the other films that were nominated in uh, 1985, none, I don't, re- none of I don't remember almost none of them are in like sort of the hierarchy of iconic films of, you know, of American history. But that's what I, that's what I mean when I say when it's about the work, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's like what will last is what is supposed to last. And that doesn't necessarily mean yep. it lasts because it won an award. Mm-hmm. It lasts because it's supposed to. Uh, so this was, I'm assuming, your, definitely your first time seeing Oprah on screen mm-hmm. uh, and, and Whoopi Goldberg as well. What was that? I mean, you already said like seeing the performances of these black actors and actresses was very iconic to you. But again, as a you know, young black man, uh, what was that like to, to see them uh, and the way they were able to hold themselves on screen? They were both sort of semi on the rise at the time, too. You know, Whoopi Goldberg, I believe, had done her one-woman show mm-hmm. uh, on Broadway, and it was on HBO, and I had seen her, and I had known her from that and the brilliance of her character work and all of that stuff. So those things were happening simultaneously, and I was just discovering her simultaneously in terms of that and, like, being inspired to be better with that Mm -hmm. and then here was this Oprah Winfrey woman who was a talk show host (laughs) yeah you know who got this shot and killed it (laughs) you know like killed it beyond belief killed it and it was like you know there was a space for me too that um her performance helped me to understand that, yes, I'm going to drama school. Yes, I'm getting trained. But also, sometimes there's something just innately in the spirit of a human being that is all that's required. Mm-hmm. That was what Whoopi and Oprah were. And that was what, when you're in alignment, where you can just show up and be, you know, we speak of that in acting, more traditional acting training a lot. You know, the difference between acting and being. Those performances are human beings simply being. Hmm. And that's what makes them so special to me. My memories of The Color Purple were watching it in like middle school, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, whenever it was like, um, if it was a substitute or we, they were trying to talk about sort of post, you know, post-Civil War America and they would like uh-huh. put on these videos. Uh-huh. Um, and, but I hadn't, I hadn't watched it probably since then. And so, you know, seeing it again, um, it's, it's really like amazing that again, that like you were saying, the film was made in 1985. I mean, that movie would, might have a hard time being made now. Yeah. You know? um, it's beautiful. It's so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. It yeah. really is beautifully done and it stands the test of time. And you know, for black folks too, you know, it was it was quotable. Mm-hmm. You know, we still, you know, we as black people and you told Hoppo to beat me, <laughs> I'll kill him dead. You know, like we we it's like there was a celebration inside of having this piece of art in the world that was so epic. You right. know, and crossed over in such a huge way. Well, perfect. Uh, that was The Color Purple from 1985. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Um, Let's move on to your second pick, which is 1988 School Days. Uh, 6.0 out of 10 with 6.2 thousand ratings on IMDb, written and directed by Spike Lee, starring Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, and Tisha Campbell-Martin. Uh, tell me, what, when was the first time you saw School Days? I remember a friend of mine from high school, one of my best friends from high school, and she dragged me to the theater. And she was like, we have to go see this movie. We have to go see this movie by Spike Lee. And I'm like, who's Spike Lee? And she's like, he's a black director. And there's and, and it's this movie about like, you know, historically black colleges. And, you know, it's supposed to be really good. And I was like, okay. And I was just, once again, it was like, I had never seen anything like this. And I was in college and I didn't go to a historically black college, but I had heard about you know, these things. And I had had friends who had gone to historically black colleges and, you know, I had no interest in, in being in uh, a fraternity or sororities. Like I had no interest in that world. I wasn't really from that world. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. So, but there was a black director. I had never heard of such a thing, you know, a black film Mm -hmm. director. And he was young and he was talking about young people and to show up and find out that it's a musical. (laughs) Right. I mean, School Days is a musical. It was just so powerful to see all these young Black actors on film. Once again, it was enlarging my dream territory i could i can be on screen like how am i gonna get to the movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want to be on broadway yeah i want to be in a musical but like i want to be on screen i want to be on film like that like wow i can do that you know that was why you know, and a black man directed this. Like, it just took my breath away. I had never seen it until um, this was on your list. So thank you for introducing this film to me. Um, even today, it's kind of like I've never really seen a movie like this. I mean, like, it is hyper-realized. Yep. It's, there's there's musicals, the, the, the dialogue, the acting. And, you know, when I was watching this. It breaks um, all the rules. Breaks all the rules, 100%. Even today, like, it's still breaking rules. Um, And a parallel I saw between uh, School Days and Pose, and tell me if you are aligned with me on this, is that I think a lot of the beauty in Pose is that the drama 
is w- from within the community themselves. Right. Um, a lot of a lot of the drama isn't from like you know the white uh, man done done me wrong. Right. Right. It's all about the <laughs> infighting and like the really like uh, deep connections and, and problems that can happen with a a community within like that. The black community. The, mm-hmm. the colorism. You know, mm-hmm. the colorism thing was huge for us because for me, it was really the first time that I had seen that talked about. Mm. In school you know, days? In, in school days. It, it's the right. first time I had seen that talked about in public. You know, within our community, it's like, oh, she's light-skinned. Oh, she got good hair. You know, like, we we had those conversations with among ourselves, but it wasn't something that had been spoken about you know in mixed company as we as we call it mm. you know that's house talk mm-hmm. you know that's home talk we don't talk about that in front of the white people mm-hmm. you know but yet and still it's a debilitating prejudice with inside mm. of our own community it's a debilitating oppression that's from within our community that then bleeds out And we have taught the people on the outside that same sort of colorism. Mm. You know, we taught the world that. Not only the colorism, but like the first musical number in the film um, is when the uh, wannabes uh, Mm -hmm. and and the other group of girls, they they do a song in like a salon about... Good hair and bad good hair. And bad hair. Good, I mean, it's good and bad hair. Yeah, it's 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 a real thing. It was unbelievable to see ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we were literally seeing ourselves and our youthful selves. And I say that in relief to the color purple because very often, you know, in my experience, you know, black people. Um, for a long time, all I saw was comedy. Mm, mm-hmm. And when it was drama, it was period. Right. Like The Color Purple. Right. Like Roots. Mm-hmm. Like The Diary of Miss Jane Pittman. Like the, you know, it very often, not always, but very often, our dramas were rooted in something old, something mm-hmm. historical, and something about slavery. You know, and here we had something that to me straddled everything. It was everything. It was comedy. It was drama. It was musical. It was everything. But it was us. It was young us. It was modern day us. It was right now us. Mm -hmm. That was transformative. The final lines of this film is uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character basically running around the college yelling, please wake up, please wake up, wake up. Mm -hmm. up." Do you still see significance in those final moments of him (laughs) running around telling everyone, you know, the black community? Oh, yeah. It's the same thing that I say right now as a black gay man who lives in the space in the middle in between. You know, when I think about the civil rights movement, I think about Bayard Rustin, who was an architect of of the nonviolent movement. He was the one who taught Martin Luther King Jr. and all of the big six how to engage in this way. 
and he was put out because he was a homosexual. We put our own out. We eat our own. We turn around and use the same devices of oppression on our own that are being used on us from the outside. And that has to stop. And that is what School Days is about in in terms of light skin, dark skin. Mm -hmm. The oppressed must get their houses in order so that we can then demand from outside of our communities a better way. And again, like to relate it back to Pose, that's such a theme across, uh, you know, whenever uh, Electra and Blanca are mm-hmm. fighting, it mm-hmm. always resolves like, no, we have to look out for each other or yeah. else no one's going to look out for us. And right. it's, it's a really beautiful theme that comes across and is so clear in school days as well. It's uh, really, really a fantastic movie and, and pretty cool to see Spike Lee at his almost weirdest at the time, really going for it, just his second film, and then he kind of perfects it all and and, and, and puts it and do the right thing, uh, you know, a couple of years later. But yeah, um, yeah fan, fantastic, fantastic film. Uh, let's go to your last pick. This is 1996's Romeo and Juliet, 6.7 out of 10 with 205,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Baz Luhrmann, uh, written by Craig Pierce and Baz Luhrmann, based off the play by William Shakespeare, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. I love that you picked this movie. I love this movie so much. This was a very iconic movie uh, for me when I was younger, when I first saw mm-hmm. it as well. Um, mm-hmm. um, but please tell me, what, what what are your thoughts on on Romeo and Juliet? First of all, I had gone to drama school. I'd gone to Carnegie Mellon, studied the classics. Mm-hmm. You know, now all this time later, you know, when we speak of, you have to understand the classics, you have to understand train, you know, when you train, you train in the classics. The unfortunate part about the classics is that they're all white (laughs) and mostly European. Mm -hmm. That happens in ballet, that happens in drama, it happens in art. It's always based on what white people did. And so with as universal as I always found Shakespeare and the reason why his work has survived all these centuries, it's because of the humanity that's in it that is colorless. I had trained in a very strict iambic pentameter. You mark it out. This is the way it goes. The stress is on this word. It tells you what it means. You do it this way, and that's the only way. I had been in a production of The Merchant of Venice at the Public Theater in 1994, mm-hmm. playing a small role, you know, Solanio and Solario. I can't remember which one, but it was one of those two. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, and I was having a fine, you know, it was good. I knew how to do it. But these two characters had a scene in Act Two, and um, there were this there was this joke that just wasn't landing. And A, it wasn't landing because it's a four hundred year old joke. <laughs> and B, it wasn't landing because the emphasis was on the wrong syllable for where we are today. Right. 
So one day during previews, I changed the emphasis. And it got a huge laugh. Mm. And the director came for me because it wasn't proper. It wasn't in the meter that it was supposed to be in. And I was like, yeah, but you got me out here with egg on my face today in 1994, because this is supposed to be a joke that A, I don't understand. So I know the audience doesn't understand. <laughs> and so the only way to make, so the only way to land the joke is to shift the emphasis of the word so that I can get the laugh. Mm -hmm. It was a fight that was, should never have been a fight. Mm. So then to, to a couple of years later to go to Romeo and Juliet and to see the auteur Baz Luhrmann mm. take that story and put it right in the context of modern day. Once again, the modernization of that classic in a way that made every single person who watched it understand that language the first time hearing it. There's not a word that you do not understand in that script. And it is all Shakespeare. Yeah, like the little details Baz Lorman puts throughout the film, like, uh, you know, the like the guns, they say sword on them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So even if, you know, they do little things like that. And I first saw this film when I was like, you know, I was like, I was forced to read, you know, Shakespeare in whatever, in, in high school or middle school or whatever. And then the, my teacher put it on and I was, like you said, completely floored. Be like, oh, like this is what all this, this is like, why this, means. this is why people teach this so much. Yeah, you know, and it, for me, the the thing that hooked me—I mean, the whole thing hooked me—but right, the one thing that hooked me the 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 most was how he justified love at first sight. Love at first sight is a movie thing. Mm -hmm. Love at first sight—the further we, the the more we live and the more. You know, the older you get, it's like, it's hard to really, I mean, suspension of disbelief, we just do it because that's just what it is. Sure. But the fact that he used ecstasy, <laughs> the fact that he used that drug that I had been doing at the clubs since 1991 and understood <laughs> how tingly it makes you and understood how heightened the world around you becomes and how you actually just, you know, whatever that stuff is that's released in your head, um, serotonin, the serotonin that it, it releases in your head really does make you feel like you're in love with everybody you see. It was the most brilliant thing I had ever, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot believe this. Like, I just, you know, it, it's, I just think it's a beautifully done, beautifully done, um, you know, and also just Baz's, you know, because I had seen the- uh, Strictly Ballroom. The Strictly Ballroom before that, where he mm -hmm. sort of, you know, we were introduced to his style. It's a stylized, it's a stylized thing that I respond to because in the sort of um, way I perform, 
um, and musical theater as well. In conjunction with that, there's a stylized energy that um, I gravitate to and love. You know, there's a stylized quality to mm-hmm. heightened quality to musical theater that that's innate, um, instinctive, and just inside of me. And so to see a director who has that kind of stylized energy, once again, it made me feel like there was a place for me. Mm. You know, being in the business and being told that I'm too much being told to pull it back, being told to calm down, especially in my film and television auditions. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't booking nothing because the feedback was always, you're too much, you're mm-hmm. too big, you're too dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And so to see these highly arched performances on purpose in a mainstream movie like this was once again, mm-hmm. somebody giving me permission to dream. It was like, yeah, okay. When it's that, I can do that. I can do that. When you picked this, I was really happy because to me, Pose is Shakespeare. Yes. You know, Correct. it has like the, the dueling houses. I mean, Electra, yes. obviously, the way Electra speaks, she's so proper and the way she enunciates and you know, what, every and word. How, and what Pray Tell is in the ball. Yes, yes. I I specifically have elevated and heightened Pray Tell at the balls to Mm -hmm. feel Shakespearean on purpose. Mm -hmm. So I love that you say that and I love that you feel that because that's how I was approaching it. I was like, this is (laughs) standard, heightened, classic, you know, somebody's king. Right. And you, you're, you know, when Pray Tell is doing the, 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 the judging or the emceeing, yes. there's a lot of internal rhyme schemes that you do yes. and a lot of wordplay. And I do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I do that on purpose. It's not always there. And especially when I'm working and ad-libbing, I right. would ad-lib things on purpose that are in rhythm and, and rhyme. You know, so yeah, I'm so happy that you like picked <laughs> up on that. That makes yeah. me really happy. I'm glad because it, it, it was very clear to me once you picked us like, oh, well, duh. Like, I mean, it's, Poses Shakespeare. It's it's yeah. you know there's a beautiful correlation there. Uh, Billy, we have the color purple, school days, and Romeo and Juliet. Do you see a through line between these three films as to why you know you selected these to talk about as movies that changed your life? Yeah, I will say that um, all three of those movies um, gave me permission to dream, to dream beyond my circumstance, to dream. Yeah. That's the through line for me. For people who like to dream, watch these films. And if you haven't seen Pose, Pose is all about dreaming and hope and optimism and and trying to find the best in people and yourself. And Billy uh, has gotten another well-deserved nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor in a drama series. Um, very looking forward to it. I hope you're able to pull off your incredible iconic red carpet look for the digital, <laughs> for the digital uh, version of the show this year. We going back, we going back off of, of, of red carpet <laughs> while the world is imploding. We going back off just a little bit. Okay. I look cute, but I'll come full circle. 
I'll come back swinging when we come back for real. Okay. And folks ain't dying every day. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know because uh, people will look forward to that when they can see that again. Well, Billy, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Um, I really love diving deep on these movies with you. And uh, good luck um, you know, you. in a month or so at, at the award show. But thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you, And uh, Yeah, take care of yourself and we'll talk see soon. See you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Billy and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list.